Welcome to the inaugural segment of the Thoughts from the Glen podcast, your stop for discussion concerning meaningful topics in life. I'm Jason Truett Glenn, and I'll be offering up stories, questions, theories, and truths that interest me and hopefully interest you as well. In this first episode, I want to address an ever-relevant virtue that we don't often seek to specifically define. Compassion uh, is an emotion virtue, and spiritual concept that we praise and appreciate, but we don't exactly have a science for discerning what it looks like and what its boundaries are. At times, it's been referred to as pity or, or even sympathy, though we now have different nuances for those words. It's commonly agreed upon that empathy is required for compassion, as one traditionally needs to be able to have an idea of the suffering of another in order to feel compassion. I heard a recent political pundit suggest that, uh, quote, empathy is a made-up new age term that does a lot of damage, unquote. Um, of course, this is nonsense, as the, the Bible has Hebrew and Greek terms for words that have been translated as pity, sympathy, and compassion. These are biblical concepts that define even the heart of God towards his image bearers. One historical tradition stemming from Aristotle and and running through the contemporary American philosopher Martha Nussbaum articulates compassion as having three components. One uh, is a component of size or severity. Uh, Some event has to happen that's severe. Uh, It's it's not just a minor uh, situation in the life of the person. Uh, And then two, a component of non-desert. Uh, or the idea that suffering is not primarily their own fault. And then three, uh, a eudynamistic eudine, uh, judgment, or the idea that within this emotion is a desire to actively help the suffering person to flourish or to be well again. I agree with two out of these three components, and that's what I'd like to focus in in this first installment, of thoughts from the Glen. In order to help you consider what I'm talking about, I'd like to share a story with you from my own life uh, concerning an event that took place about a year ago. Um, before I share, however, about this event, I'd like to give you a little background about uh, my context, our context, my family. When my wife and I were considering purchasing our current house, we didn't have a philanthropic goal in mind. Honestly, Ashley was the one that pushed the narrative desiring uh, to own a house. But we love old houses and we're not afraid of the direct and indirect challenges that come from old houses and old neighborhoods. We were already renting a house in one such neighborhood where uh, there was a drive-by shooting within the first few months of living there. All that to say that that troubled state of, of a neighborhood wasn't necessarily a reason for us to choose or not to choose to live there. 
However, we're cautious. Having four daughters makes you keen to listen and watch for the signs, uh, to weigh the inherent risks and decisions, environments, and, and in moments. Ashley's convictions are keenly built around protecting our daughters, and yet we value proximity to the cultural richness and human neediness of this world in a way that has often placed us in environments that uh, others choose to avoid. Our current neighborhood is one such place. Our house is massive. Uh, you could buy houses in our area real cheap when we move to Lynchburg. It sits high uh, uh, off the sidewalk, uh, watching over those that pass by. Apparently, our house was known to be a local brothel at one point in time, and then a boarding house for many years. It was in significant disrepair when we picked it up. Our house sort of sits on a, a boundary, if you will, um, and yet also a road, literally and figuratively. The neighborhood behind our house is full of upper and middle class folks and uh, the sort of people who buy old homes and pour lots of money into them to make them nice again. It's an historic downtown neighborhood, so you get a, a good mix of cultures in there. Liberal Yankees, conservative California transplants, libertarian Southerners, um, you get the idea. But, but this particular part of the neighborhood is flanked on one side by a highway and all other sides by poverty. Our house sits between the wealth and the poverty. That road in front of us gets plenty of motorized traffic, but it also gets a good bit of foot traffic, mainly those without vehicles walking downtown to work or to the corner convenience store to, to grab smokes and a beer. Across the street from us is an old hospital that sat empty when we first moved into our place. Then it got bought by a, an entrepreneurial fellow who, who turned it into a low-income housing without, apparently, the means or know-how to safely manage it. The cops were over there about um, three times a week and an ambulance once a week. There were plenty of parties and screaming matches that echoed across the, the street into our daughter's windows at night. The walls don't hold back much sound. Then the other ad admitted defeat, uh, the owner uh, of the place, and uh, sold it to a real estate firm. And it set empty uh, again during COVID while the new company figured out what they wanted to do with it. It was during this period that my story takes place. One night I was sitting in my office, which is at the front of the house downstairs, and uh, I was, uh, I think, probably grading, if I had to guess, maybe working on my dissertation. And um, I'm sitting there, and, and I hear this screaming. Stop! Stop! Um, no means no! Leave me alone! Uh, and again, this a woman screaming outside, and, and I was like, oh man, here we go again. Um, but at the same time, I was like, well, this also kind of sounds like uh, there's possibly some uh, sexual violations going on or, or maybe possibly about to go on. So I was concerned, uh, and so I was bothered and concerned. Uh, this is not the first time, of course, that I've heard a lot of screaming outside and had to go out and deal with it. Um, but I was a little concerned about this one again because it was a woman and it sounded like it, it could be um, some obviously violation taking place. And so I grabbed my pocket knife just in case uh, and went outside. And I saw a woman uh, walking down the sidewalk in front of our house. Um, and I looked over and, and uh, she was walking away from a man that 
was a good ways behind her at that point in time. He was standing in a, in a parking lot next to the building across the street and she was getting away. And I, and I, and I first said, are you okay? Are you all right? Um, uh, is everything okay? Can I help you? And she's like, I'm fine. I'm fine. Um, um, but he needs to stay away. Uh, tell him to leave me alone. And I'm like, okay, all right. So I started, uh, recognizing where he was and, and, and started moving in his direction. Uh, he, and I noticed at that point in time, they sat down in the parking lot, um, across the street and, uh, was just kind of squatting there. Um, and then the closer I got, uh, he, he got up and he started walking across the street to meet me. Um, and he started explaining, uh, she she doesn't uh, know what she's talking about. She is confused. Um, nothing bad was going on, you know. So he started giving me these uh, these, of course, explanations, um, excuses, and uh, the closer he got, you know, I, I, I you know I started to get a little concerned. Um, but I'm like, okay, he's coming. He wants to talk. He wants to explain. So he, he finally met me and I'm up within a couple of arms distances of him. And, and, uh, and I said, Hey man, what's going on? What's going on here? And, uh, he said, no, that's, you know, that's my girl. And I just got out of prison and, you know, again, he's, this is a, Obviously, a gentleman that uh, very clearly um, has probably been drinking or is high. Uh, she, is, you know, looked as though and sounded as though she had also been uh, partaking of drugs. Um, and this gentleman starts to, again explain. I, I've been in prison and I just got out and I I wanted I wanted to get with my girl and uh, she uh, she she had been wronged by some other guys. Uh, of course, he's using far more colorful language than I'm expressing here. But uh, he's trying to explain to me that essentially none of this was his fault and um, that she was confused. And, and she might have very well been. I don't, um, but and, and he might have been telling the truth about these guys that supposedly abused her when he was in, in prison. Uh, and he wanted to, he wanted to have affection. He wanted to have intimacy with her when he got out. And, uh, apparently she didn't want anything to do with it at this point in time. And, um, and so again, I had, I, you know, I, I, I tell, I told the background of, of why we bought this house and, and, um, our general disposition, uh, just to say, look, this is, this wasn't new. These individuals, um, in Lynchburg, there's a lot of tragic stories, um, a lot of them, and I have uh, I've had plenty of conversations on the sidewalk, on my front porch, um, handing money to some dude, or or taking somebody to get food, uh, or praying with somebody on my front porch. Again, a lot of these individuals in this town uh, are are just tragically broken, and it's hard to help. So. A, this was nothing new. B, I already had a preconceived notion right in my head of what type of guy this was. And then, of course, he said he was in prison and just got out. Uh, and, of course, I heard him, uh, you know, I heard her, you know, telling him that no means no, which, again, we all know what that, that refers to. Um, so I had I had a judgment of this guy that gave me kind of every... Um, inclination to not trust him, 
um, to not have pity on him, to not even have, you know, sympathy for him. Um, but as he's explaining to me his situation, uh, he began to break down and, um, my heart just kind of started to reach out to him and I grabbed him by the shoulder and, and, uh, brought him near and uh, said, look, I, I'm sorry. Uh, I love you. God loves you. Um, I know this is hard. I know there are no easy answers. Uh, I said, uh, there are hard answers and I, I can only offer uh, prayer and hard answers. And I said, you, you've, you've already heard these before. Um, and they have, they've all, they've all heard the, they've heard the gospel over and over and again in this town. And, uh, and they've all heard the hard answers and the, you've got to get, you've got to get help. You've got to go to, you know, the local, uh, charities. Uh, you've got to go to the local philanthropies. You, you've got to go to the, the free counseling. You've, you've got to go to those who, uh, can help you get a job, uh, the social services, the caseworkers, you, 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 you know, there are systems in place that are trying to help. Uh, you got to go to your churches and your pastors and, and they do, uh, sometimes. Um, and there are, and there are some that have been helped and can be helped. Um, but the point is that they've heard it all before and, and I've given it before, but, uh, I, in all of my, um, giving of this advice and praying this particular, in this particular situation, my heart just broke for this guy because I, I kind of got the understanding that there was not much that could be done uh, on my part and that I wanted to do something for him. Um, and that he had a real hard time of taking what had been offered to him and could be offered to him and actually acting on it. And I, I just, yeah, I teared up. He was crying at that point in time. I I drew him, um, to myself and, and I hugged him and I, and I held his head as he bawled on my shoulder and, um, and I prayed for him and I told him, uh, that he knew what he had to do. I said, I told him where I lived Maybe not the wisest idea, I don't know, but I told him, you know, look, I'm right there. Um, if you need something, please come by if I can help you. But the point here is that I felt compassion for this guy. And I knew very well who he was. Uh, again, that's a harsh, maybe a harsh thing to say. Maybe it's an arrogant thing to say. I don't know. But I've seen, I've seen his circumstances so many times. Um, so I, I certainly knew what type of individual he he was in terms of uh, again his neediness, in terms of uh, the addictions, in terms of uh, the cycles, uh, the broken cycles, uh, and it's tragic. And I had compassion for him. Uh, now, if I applied, and here's the point: uh, if I applied uh, Martha Nussbaum's just desserts. Uh, Aristotle's just desserts. This guy, this guy was was uh, in many ways getting what he deserved. Um, he certainly uh, probably didn't deserve intimacy uh, with this woman. Um, he probably deserved to go to jail and be in jail. 
um, there just wasn't much going on there in his personal suffering that uh, would qualify for Martha Nussbaum's and Aristotle's version of compassion, right? And, and yet, I felt compassion. And, and here's the deal. As Christians, we have the ability to extend compassion beyond those to whom we think don't deserve their suffering. Why? Well, because we know that we all deserve suffering. We know that we are all objects of God's grace. We also know that consequences for our own sin are going to come in this life. And sometimes they come like a hurricane, ripping up our lives from every last ounce of comfort because we were playing with fire. But as I've mentioned, as Christians, we can extend compassion to those in that situation while still recognizing that they are deserving of the harsh consequences that have come their way. We can, we can see guys uh, like this gentleman on the side of the road as deserving of the whirlwind, if you will, while still reaching out to him with truth and love in the midst of all of it. That's the beauty of God's grace. That's what separates Christianity from so many other religions. Uh, as the Apostle Paul states in his letter to the, to the Romans, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So that's, that's ultimately what we need to, to understand when we talk about compassion as Christians. We're not talking about only giving it to those who we think deserve it in their suffering, who, whose suffering isn't, uh, in our opinion, warranted, or um, uh, how much suffering they're receiving is, is much more than and maybe the small mistake they, they may know. We have the ability to extend compassion, uh, like those who do prison ministry often do, to individuals that very clearly deserve the suffering that they are uh, feeling. And uh, we have the ability to show a love that is situated in a God that loved us while we were yet sinners. Uh, when we deserved our suffering, we still deserve every ounce of our suffering. Our God extends compassion towards us and equips and empowers us to extend it to others. Now, Again, this is a key definition and understanding of compassion for Christians that it doesn't mean that we let people off the hook. It doesn't mean that they don't still go through and receive the physical or relational consequences or penal consequences of their actions. Uh, but it does mean that we can show them, A, that we care, that we're praying, that we want good for them, that we want them to heal, that we want them to grow even if they're in prison, that we want them to become more like who God intended them to be and, and to heal from the circumstances that uh, they have created in their lives or that have come upon them um, because of nothing they've done. But... Uh, that's what I have. Thank you all for listening to this uh, first installment. 
of the Thoughts from the Glen podcast. May you all have a wonderful week in which you experience a life filled with the faith, hope, and love in our Lord Jesus Christ. Until next time, this is Jason Truett Glenn reminding you that we don't live in a world without